Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am, of course, Joe Mobley, your host. And tonight, we have a really awesome guest for you all, uh, someone who's the president of Stand Up Virginia, and I would say an outspoken activist, but really someone who's kind of been all around uh, in Virginia and has really kind of got their finger on the pulse of what's going on here. We're going to be talking education, which is is probably going to lead to TRT or the other uh, cultural things that we're dealing with right now. Um, we might veer into some law enforcement topics as well. So, Miss Brenda Tillett, how are you, ma'am? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you so much for having me on your show tonight. Awesome. It's my pleasure. Well, I know who you are, and we've been at some events together, but tell tell the audience who you are, what Stand Up Virginia is all about. Okay. Thank you, Joe. So I'm just an ordinary Virginian, just like anyone else listening to this today, and probably people all across the country are listening. I'm a mom. Um, I have a job like everyone else and go to work and come home and just want to raise my family. Uh, to have the same values as I have and and know that we live in a protected community in Virginia where our rights are respected as parents and where we have autonomy in our families. And um, Stand Up Virginia started last summer as Bolster the Blue. And my son and I just simply wanted to say thank you to a law enforcement officer who uh, we saw in a parking lot. And from that one conversation, We ended up taking lunch to our local police station and a police officer asked me if I'd be willing to stand in the gap for him and speak at a board of supervisors meeting in support of qualified immunity. And Joe, I, like I said, I was just an ordinary mom. I lived in Fairfax County at the time. And I said, sure, I'll do that. I don't really know what a board meeting is or what qualified immunity is. And I had never been involved in politics. I was someone who cheered people like you on from my couch. I was glad you were fine my battles and happy to let you do them. I did not want to be on the forefront uh, in the front lines of this battle that we're, we have going on right now in Virginia and across the country. And so uh, from that one conversation in that one board meeting, other people saw how I was bold and create, courageous and they started following and more people started showing up. Then we started rallying every Friday night to support law enforcement at every police station in Fairfax County. Um, and we started uh, focusing on some issues For instance, our chief of police in Fairfax County, whom 99% of the law enforcement officers in Fairfax County said should resign. They had no trust in him. Uh, They felt that he publicly admonished them before cases had been investigated regarding use of force. And so we started standing up for them at every community input meeting, at every board of supervisors meeting. Every Friday night we rallied, we live streamed on Facebook, And within a few months, Chief Rossler put in his early uh, 
retirement as of February 1 of this year. So that was July of last year, Joe. So in a few months, a grassroots organization of ordinary people were able to stand up and force the early retirement of a chief of police. And so some other people saw us and said, you guys are doing such a great job with Bolster the Blue. Your model is effective. You've got people excited about public safety. And, and this was bipartisan. People on both sides of the aisle who supported law enforcement came out um, that you should create an, a statewide organization. Let's model it after Stand Up Michigan, which has several hundred thousand members. And let's think about some other areas of interest that might really get some people out of their homes to stand up and push back. And so we decided we would focus on education and election integrity, couple that with law enforcement, and Stand Up Virginia was born. And that was at the end of February, beginning of March this year. And we've had huge, huge success since then as well. You know, a lot of people are completely oblivious to the impact that uh, the administrative staff at a police department or emergency management, anything like that, the impact that those leaders have on the workforce, uh, whether it's fire, EMS, rescue, uh, or law enforcement. And it's really interesting that you, it's really interesting that these officers came to you because you really have to live an apolitical life when you're in law enforcement, military. You really have to always tow whatever the party line is, not a political party, but whatever the stance of the city is, that's the municipality where you police or where you uh, firefight, EMS, whatever. Uh, so one, it's interesting that they came to you with that, but two, it's really awesome that, just like you said, grassroots, not funded. We don't have billionaire backers. I hear stuff on Twitter about myself. I'm like, oh man, I'm supposed to have billionaire backers. Like, where are they? <laughs> you know, we need to connect. Um, but you still got things done. You've so you forced the early retirement of the police chief, but you also have at least two recall efforts out. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sounds like this was the next step with your Commonwealth attorney and continuing the back law enforcement there in Fairfax. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, Joe, I would love to. So as a grassroots organization, we are all volunteers um, and we do not have any big money. We too have been uh, accused of having dark money. We don't have dark money. We have five and $10 donations from ordinary people across the state who say, I want to chip in. And so definitely we're a nonprofit and, and none of us is paid. So we don't have big money, um, but we had to be very laser focused. So when we were trying to stand up for law enforcement officers, who, by the way, told us that Chief Rossler was like a cancer in their department and that if he wasn't removed, he was going to completely destroy and kill the de department. We were told by police officers that if they were drowning, Chief Rossler would stand on their heads to save himself. And, you know, you mentioned trust. The way we were able to build trust with law enforcement officers is just simply by doing what we were doing every Friday night uh, rallying or by showing up at a community input meeting and just speaking out saying, why is this chief of police still in, in his position? Why has the Board of Supervisors not removed him? Why are you not investigating him? You're the only people who can hold him accountable. Why are you not doing that? And so more and more of them started to trust us and they would reach out to me on Facebook and send a message and say, we appreciate what you're doing, but did you know about this? And so as a result of that, um, during the time we were pressuring the removal of Chief Rossler, 
they started telling us stories about Steve Descano, the Commonwealth's attorney in Fairfax County, and how all of his policies were very anti-victim, uh, very pro-criminal, and how he was very antagonistic toward law enforcement officers. He was actually opening closed cases on law enforcement officers to try to find reasons to prosecute them for use of force. And although he publicly states that the story is very different, it's not true because we have so many people internally, many of whom are Democrats. So they try to paint us as a Republican conservative organization. Not true. Democrats and Republicans who see what Steve Descano has been doing in Fairfax County, how the homicide rate right now today, Joe, in Fairfax County is more than double what it was this time last year. There were six homicides this time last year in Fairfax County. This year, there are 14. So there's a lot going on outside of just the homicide rate. Victims are telling us that he doesn't return their calls. He dismisses cases in court when victims are saying, no, I want this individual who wronged me prosecuted. And Steve Descano just bluntly says no. Uh, it can be as egregious as child sex abuse cases where he dismisses cases and, and just offers some minimal plea deal. Um, it can be a felony theft. He's raised the bar for felony theft in Fairfax County to $1,500 overriding state law. So there were so many things that people were telling us that we said, you know what? We've reached out to the board numerous times. We emailed them. We went to board of supervisors meetings and we said, you're the only ones who have the power to rein in Steve Descano because he's an elected official. So the way they do that is by pressuring the purse strings, pulling back the money. But what did they do a couple of months ago, Joe? They awarded him several million dollars of Fairfax County money for a job not done. I won't even say poorly done, completely not done. He doesn't prosecute. He's a public defender. Um, so we took matters into our own hands. And April 12th, we launched a recall of him. And similarly, we had other stories coming in about Loudoun County's uh, Commonwealth's attorney, Buddha Bibberai, who has the same exact policies as Steve Descano. And they call it progressive, but it's actually regressive, regressive. So they... They colorfully label it, like we've heard some of the other uh, reform measures in education called by beautiful names. They call it social justice. They call it equity. They call it second chance policies. But this isn't second chances. Buddha Bibberai and Steve Descano give some people 40 chances, 4-0. There are cases where there have been 42 counts against an individual, and they will dismiss every single one but two. And this is regular practice. So she had the same exact policies and still does. As Steve Descano, what was a little different was the Board of Supervisors in Loudoun County did try to hold her accountable, uh, but she was still doing the exact same thing even after the board applied pressure. So we launched a recall of her several weeks ago. So we have two active recalls going on right now. And we're just showing our Board of Supervisors that there are tools that we have in our toolbox as grassroots members of the community and grassroots, uh, I like to say human rights advocates, not really activists, um, and we're going to exercise all of them in our power to provide a safe uh, environment and community for not only law-abiding residents, but for victims. And that's not what we have right now in Loudoun County or Fairfax. And there are several other of these individuals across the state who have the same policies. And just for your listeners, um, talk about big, dark money. Steve Descano and Buddha Bibberai were both funded by none other than, who would you guess, Joe? 
George Soros. Probably George Soros, yeah. <laughs> George Soros. So, yeah, that's where the dark money comes in, and you look at the results, and they're never good. So we took matters into our own hands. It's so interesting that you said not an activist, a human rights advocate. People are not making the connection that not enforcing the law, we don't need endless new legislation. We don't need 25 new laws, not enforcing the laws on the books, not holding criminals accountable. I believe in second chances. I do not believe in 41st, 42nd chances. Um, there are real human rights implications. I was watching, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I knew about the recall, but I hadn't watched any of the stuff on your website. And I was watching, um, you guys had put up a story of someone, it sounded like her daughter was molested or assaulted by a family member. That was a painful story to listen to. And, and I've dealt with, uh, frankly, I've dealt with child sex crimes for almost a decade now. But it's crazy to think that the prosecutor, Commonwealth attorney is a prosecutor. Um, a lot of my audience is in California, so we don't have district attorneys here. We, Virginia is a Commonwealth. Um, so a DA everywhere else is a Commonwealth attorney. And just like you said, Brenda, they're operating, yours and mine, they're operating as defense attorneys. And it's all, in my view, I'm, in, in my non-professional professional opinion, all they really are trying to do is give the appearance that the black or brown incarceration rate is decreasing, but crime is soaring through the roof across the nation. But here in Fairfax and Loudoun, crime is going up and not larceny and petty theft, but assault and violent crimes. Yes, and it is not just that people think, well, you know, Steve Descano is not prosecuting misdemeanors. Okay, well, you know, I agree with that. I think people shouldn't have records, especially if it's someone who's younger. But no, that's not what's happening. These are individuals who are either lifelong criminals or they commit egregious felonies. Um, the child sex abuse is huge because that's been a real gap in Steve Descano's efforts. And it's it's kind of funny because he just announced yesterday that he is, uh, he has um, hired, I believe he said, 15 new uh, uh, attorneys with this money that he just received to prosecute child, uh, child abuse cases and domestic violence cases, which I believe is because we applied so much pressure highlighting those cases publicly that he had to make a response to that. But the problem with that well, the, is this, The funding all, was his excuse. He said that he didn't have yes. enough money to prosecute cases. Yes. That's... Yes. That's... Baloney. So let me address those two issues. I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay, so first of all, this division actually existed. We had people internally who called us and said, this is crazy. This man is trying to make himself look like he's a savior. When this division existed, it's just down to almost no attorneys because he can't keep attorneys in his office. His office is a revolving door. His own attorneys call him the devil. Okay, that's the type of climate he has in his office. Not only that, his chief of staff has put in his uh, resignation. So they either get fired or he dismisses them. And um, you also just mentioned that, um, wh what was the other point? I'm sorry, Joe, you just mentioned something else that I wanted to highlight. 
crime rate soaring, violent yeah. crime, not just misdemeanors. No, that it wasn't just misdemeanors. Sorry. So I got on the rampage about this issue with him trying to glorify himself and, and lost my train of thought. So, um, so yeah, the, so one of Steve Descano's policies, and this is across the board with the Soros-funded attorneys, is that no juvenile will have a record. So the way he tells you in written policy on his site that he's going to avoid that is that if anyone comes in who's 17 years old and has a felony charge, that will either be reduced to a misdemeanor or, or it will be completely dismissed. Now, there is a great deal of MS-13 and gang violence in Fairfax County. The two areas where the greatest amount of MS-13 gang violence exists, and this is beautiful, Joe, is where the vice chair of the Board of Supervisors, uh, her, her district, which is Supervisor Penny Gross, and the other area where the chair of public safety for Fairfax County, his area, which is Rodney Lusk. Okay, those two areas have the highest rate of gang violence yet they support Steve Descano. So there was a case where a group of juveniles who were MS-13 gang members got a guy who was leaving a convenience store, beat him up, bashed his teeth in, left him bleeding outside the store, and Steve Descano did not prosecute that case because they were juveniles. So this is on his website. His policies are there that he will not give you a record if you're a juvenile. Okay, also, if you are involved in uh, abuse between um partners in a relationship and you don't reside in the same household. So if you are dating, for instance, and someone abuses you or a case like I just mentioned, he doesn't say he wasn't in the past sending anybody to prosecute that case. And what was so amazing about this was we actually court watched. Anybody who's watching this today can go court watch. We went into court because we had people and we still do internally uh, who are encouraging us to do so and letting us know, you know what, there are a lot of cases you need to see and you just need to come sit and watch these cases. So we've been in and watched as a prosecutor would go up to the judge in the morning. The prosecutor would ask, do you have cases on the docket? The attorney says, no, I don't. The judge laughed. And then the attorney said, may I be excused? And she walked outside and sat outside the courtroom while police officer after police officer went up and tried to defend his own cases while victims of abuse tried to defend themselves against the person who abused them and that person's defender, that person's attorney, and he left them abandoned with a prosecutor in the hallway. Why did he do that, Joe? He did that because he was trying to make his point that I don't have enough attorneys to cover these cases. So even though the attorney was there, and sometimes two attorneys, he wouldn't assign them to the cases to make it look like these cases were not covered due to a lack of resources. So it was a wicked game that he played with the law-abiding residents of Fairfax County to get his money. And now that he has his money, we've heard that he's hiring a great number of paralegals and support staff, not attorneys, although he did just hire some to fill this child abuse and domestic violence um, division that he has that already existed, that he's acting as if he just created. Um, so he did do that, but his policies haven't changed. He's not going to prosecute a juvenile. He is not also going to give anyone a life sentence. So there is a man who raped his stepdaughter from the sixth grade to the ninth grade almost every day. Now, he admitted to over 40 times doing this. The individual involved in that case said it was every day. I was there the day that that case was discussed. He dismissed every single case but two charges and offered that man 12 years. 
The judge's mouth was on the floor. He said, why in the world would you offer this man 12 years? And the attorney said, well, when we come back for actual sentencing, we'll explain this in further detail, but we're only asking for 12 years. That is his philosophy. And whether he has one attorney or 30 attorneys, it's the same. And the same will be for Buddha Bibberai. They have the same philosophy of pro-criminal um, uh, ways that they run their offices. Buddha Bibberai has even said, you are not, we have this on recording, you are not to discuss cases with victims because victims don't know what they want or need. That's our job. So victims' voices are not heard. They are completely left out of the conversation and they are dismissed even parents of child sex abuse. He does not call parents back, and we have inside information about that as well. It's horrible. Wow. A, a lot of people don't realize one of the jobs of the prosecutor is to explain the crime to the jury, to explain the crime to the public so that they understand it. Uh, that's the major issue um, facing prosecution of human trafficking cases is people don't understand you know, that you don't have to be kidnapped or smuggled or taken from place to place to be trafficked. And the fact that they're trying to move things behind closed doors with the, the sentencing hearing versus the actual hearing uh, is disgraceful. But I'm interested, this just popped into my head. I, I don't know if these numbers are out there, but I'm interested in doing like a comparative analysis of offices the size of his office um, with the resources that they have, particularly the manpower, not the not the funding, um, and the caseloads, because I just I can't see. I don't know how many attorneys are in the Fairfax Commonwealth Attorney's Office, but I can't see that they're so overburdened that they can't prosecute child rapists. That's insane, um, but. Lest we go into the black hole of depravity, uh, let's shift gears to education. So I okay. think one of the one of the first times that we met, um, or at least the time that stands out in my mind, is uh, we were both at the education not indoctrination rally uh, that Heritage Action put on. So what do you guys have going on in the classroom and the school board meetings? I, I see on your website, on your social media, you guys are pounding pavement. You're all over the place. Um, not like doing Zoom meetings. You guys are boots on the ground, like everywhere. I, I feel like you have a clone or something. I'm like, how is she at all these events? <laughs> what do you guys got going on? Well, so that's an interesting story, Joe. So again, as I mentioned before, the trust from law enforcement came because they saw us rallying every Friday night at different police stations in Fairfax. Then they saw us speaking at community input meetings and board of supervisors meetings. So they started giving us information. Well, when we showed that we were actually speaking out um, at the event that you mentioned, the heritage event, the education, not indoctrination event, uh, someone from Russell County reached out to us on Facebook and said, hey, you know, we've got a school board meeting coming up. We would love for you guys to be there. Would you be willing to come out to Russell County? I had no idea that Russell County was like 400 miles from here. I don't know, pretty far. Uh, but I said, sure, absolutely. You know, we'll support you. We'll definitely come over and help you. 
Um, and they had seen that we were at the Loudoun County meeting that happened. You were you were there uh, about a month or so ago. Uh, that was all over the news and just showing parents standing up and speaking out against the new transgender policies and, and critical race theory. So we were there with signs for everyone that said, we the parents stand up. Um, and so we said, sure, we'll, we'll come out to Russell County. Why not? And so we went out to Russell County on Tuesday. That was a Tuesday night. Their board meeting was on Thursday. We had over 300 people show up at that rally that night. And we talked about how ordinary people can do extraordinary things and how just standing up for an apolitical education for your children is your right as a parent and that you should not allow school boards to trample those rights. And so we've also been mischaracterized in this battle as well. Uh, right now, there is a law that has been passed by the Virginia Department of Education, a transgender model policy. I'm sure you know about it, Joe. And in that model policy, there are a lot of recommendations and mandates that override the rights of parents. And we can talk about those more in, in just a little bit. But we've just been going to different counties and standing up with members of those communities. We bring signs, we live stream, uh, we get local speakers to speak. So a lot of times it's pastors who will show up. Um, it is parents who are upset about what's going on in the schools. And we just increase community awareness. And I always say at these events, as do other individuals who represent Stand Up Virginia, it doesn't matter what you believe, what your view of the family is, that's your view, that's your belief. What your religion is, that's your religion. Those are your values. What we're saying at Stand Up Virginia is, it's not the school board's right. It's not the teacher's right. It's no one's right except the parent's to teach and instill in their children values about religion, about sexuality, about the family, about relationships. And that should not be discussed or indoctrinated and taught in schools. And so if we remove all of that from schools and just give that autonomy back to parents and let teachers quite simply help make our children into scholars and servant leaders in the future, then we will have accomplished what every parent in the state of Virginia and across the country wants, which is for their children to, as I mentioned, just be servant leaders when they grow up. And so we have not only been to Russell County, we've been to Buchanan, to Dickinson, to New Kent County, to Stafford. Um, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Montgomery, Virginia, we've traveled all over. And every time we show up, Joe, we are embraced. I mean, the people are just overwhelmed with joy that there are other people and specifically Northern Virginians who feel the same way they do and who let them know they're not alone. Because I think one of the things that people in other parts of the state think about you and they think about me is that Northern Virginians in general are against them, that we don't share the same beliefs, that we're the ones trampling on their rights because we're part of Richmond, the people who are dictating to them what their families will believe and how their children will be taught. And when I tell them that there are thousands and thousands of people like you and like me who support them, it's amazing. I, I had one, one rally I was at, and they said, I never thought I'd see the day when Northern Virginia would join with Southwest Virginia, and we would all be in, in the same side fighting together. Yeah, that's that's definitely... Uh... It's powerful because I used to, I went to middle school and high school in Virginia Beach. So 
yeah, I that that resonates. Spent some time in Troutville. We wouldn't see a Northern Virginia uh, person down there standing up for things. But you mentioned it. We're we're definitely going to get into that, uh, lest people think we're making things up. Um, but just some some real life. <laughs> Things like you can't make this up, people. Uh, things that are, are seen uh, in in the classroom these days uh, stay woke at this one school. Um, but let's go down and get right into the model policies. People, you've got to be on the lookout for this type of stuff. It's it's not just in California. It's not just in New York. It's not just in Virginia. Um, states across the union are putting in policies just like these. And again, just what Brenda said, this is not a, a political ideological issue. This isn't an us versus them, a left versus right, a conservative versus liberal. This isn't a dog whistle. This People said that this would happen last year, two years ago. Some people that really tuned in as early as 10 years ago. Um, but these are what some of the policies are saying. Now, this, if I understand this correctly, this model policy, they're still leaving it to the individual school boards to draft the actual policy for the different municipalities. But this model policy is the statewide, this was the Virginia General Assembly, like this is the rule now. Um, like this line here, schools frequently maintain separate restrooms, locker rooms, or other facilities for males and females. Students should be allowed to use the facility that corresponds to their consistent, consistently asserted gender identity. Uh, and how this manifests in reality is just like every common sense adult thought it would, is teenage boys that want to be in the hotel room or locker room with girls or vice versa, identifying as whatever they want. Um, and we're, we're seeing here school staff should not confront students about their gender identity upon entry into the restroom or any of these other facilities. This is bleeding into sports. This is bleeding into, I think it said on another page here, what's I'm going the wrong way. I know I read something on your website about overnight trips. Yes. Um, here we go. Uh, yeah, overnight field trips, schools should not force students into single occupancy accommodations that are not required for students requesting them. Uh, look, I was a teenager once upon a time, like many of us. This is insane. This, this is the real model policy for the state of Virginia that is blanketing all school boards, that is blanketing every school in the state um, or public schools. I don't think that this, does this apply to private schools? I should have no. looked this up. No, just public schools. So you're taking this around. You're showing this to parents because parents are not tracking. What What's the response been? Are you, are you making leadway? Oh. Are you just met with constant resistance? No, this, this has made waves, Joe, in ways that I think even critical race theory perhaps has not awakened parents like this has. Uh, the pictures you first showed just a minute ago of the doors to the classrooms, that's in Blacksburg High School, which is actually in Montgomery County, Virginia. Um, we also have pictures that we just posted today. Those are Blacksburg High School. We have pictures we posted today from Falls Church High School, similar pictures. 
Um, but, you know, and what's really alarming about this, specifically that picture, is that that teacher does not allow any cell phone use in the classroom. So children cannot even video something that they think should not be said or taught by a teacher, something that's unfair. Also, their Twitter handles are posted outside their doors. So they're indoctrinating our children on Twitter, as you see right here. Um, and so we have people within schools sending us this information because they're so outraged. And again, this is both sides. This is Democrats. This is Republicans because people show up at our rallies and they tell us uh, their, their party and how this has really awakened them. Now, to get into the transgender model policies that you were just showing, Joe, so those model policies are 22.1 to 23.3 Virginia Code. It was just passed as Virginia state law with the um, mandate that it will be implemented in the schools starting now, starting in the fall of this year. They did not leave any flexibility for counties locally, except that they stated that school boards can implement the policies as they're written, or they can be even more inclusive than what the, the model policy states. So you can't do less than, you can do equal to, or you can do more. And what's so concerning about the model policies is in their effort to make an environment that feels safe and inclusive for transgender students, they have now put the majority of students and the overwhelming majority of students at risk. So what do I mean by that? Stated in those policies, as you just pointed out, Joe, is that a child or a transgender may use a bathroom of their choice. So that means uh, that at a high school football game, if I am a 25-year-old male and I want to go into the girl's bathroom because I see a five-year-old girl go in there and I'm a pedophile, no one can confront me about my gender and I can go in the bathroom. Now, the one sentence you read at the beginning of this conversation was about a consistently asserted gender. There's actually another section uh, in the same policies that you have there where it says that although they would like the gender to be consistently asserted, it's not mandatory, there are no guidelines, and teachers cannot confront that individual. So at first, they do want there to be some sort of um, consistent identification, and later they reduce that to nothing, basically. And they tie. I don't know schools. if people are aware, but there was actually a student in Loudon, and and I'm not sure as far as political ideology goes. Who knows? The student could have been a heckler. I think it would be funny if they were a heckler. Um, but they they changed gender class by class. Um, and insofar as intersectionality goes, you know, who, who are we to say in this subjective postmodernist reality that that's not something that happens, that gender changes hour by hour or class by class. And if a class goes over, then you stay the one gender until the class ends. Um, the, the key is what you said and is, is in the document that adults cannot confront the students about this at all. Uh, no, this is a no questions asked, no resistance met type thing. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Go oh, on. Oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. And I think those real-world examples are what really help people understand the impact of what these policies mean. Um, also, another aspect of this policy that's concerning is that they recommend that schools have uh, gay and lesbian clubs 
and that they start talking about significant transgenders in history and what their accomplishments are, and this from kindergarten forward. So this policy is for primary school and for high school. So they're teaching a lifestyle and ideology and um, a style of life that is in direct conflict to many people throughout our state who object to that lifestyle. And again, we're not advocating one way or the other. We're just simply stating that you are taking on the role of the second mother. And that's also written in some of the policies from the Department of Education that teachers are second mothers. And I think most of us would object to that. Although we respect teachers and we appreciate what they do for our children, they are not second mothers. We do not want LGBTQ flags uh, draped across classrooms, and we don't want that lifestyle taught to our children. Uh, regardless of what you feel, when you open one door to one type of ideology, then you're opening the door to all of them. And that should be a very private conversation had between parents and their children in the home. There's also the issue concerning the overnight trips that you mentioned. Um, if a biological male identifies as a female and is going on a school trip and would like to be placed in a room as a female, then your biological daughter, female, could be placed in the room with that male and you will not be informed about that uh, because that would be vi violating the rights of the transgender biological male. They also, if your child decides that they want to be called by a different pronoun, they want to identify as a different gender at school, after they've now indoctrinated your child and taught them the type of lifestyle that you may object to, they will not inform the parents. They will keep that completely uh, um, within the school, confined to their school records, and parents will never be made aware of it. So there is so much within this model policy that is not a model, it's the opposite of a model, and it violates parents' rights. And parents should be aware of this because, as I mentioned before, it is law. So we've seen many counties so far, there are approximately eight that I can identify who have rejected the model policies and said the existing policies we have in our county that uh, treat transgender students fairly and prevent bullying of any student of any kind, they suffice for this new transgender model policy. But if there is any lawsuit by a transgender student or any challenge, uh, challenge that is brought forward by a transgender student, if the school board does not acquiesce to that challenge, then they are personally liable individually as school board members and their families for any lawsuit that is brought against them because they have rejected the model policies. So the Department of Education just issued a statement a couple of days ago to put school boards on notice that if you dare stand up to us, then you will be personally liable. And, and as I said, eight counties have already said, you know what, bring it on. We're going to treat people fairly. We've never had problems in the past but we're not going to completely indoctrinate our children with clubs and flags and, and make people at risk who should not be when we can handle this in a different way. And then there are other counties who have just completely acquiesced and, uh, and implemented those policies and voted yes. We've seen it both ways. Yeah, it's really unbelievable. It's so weird on my screen right now. My video is like way delayed. I'm seeing myself like 40 seconds in the past, but moving on. You're not on. talking right now. Your mouth isn't moving, but you're talking. It's amazing. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It is weird, but it's kind of interesting. 
myself and bring me back. Hello? Anything? Anything? I see, I see you and hear you, but your mouth isn't moving. Let's stop and start, Cam. Look at that headshot. I need to get a new headshot. Oh, well, maybe maybe it'll come back. Maybe it won't. Um, so this is Prince William County, and oh, I'm not sharing the screen. So this oh, is uh, Prince yes. William, <laughs> just in time to cut to something else. So here's a document from Prince William County. This is uh, level one onboarding equity and education, which one, you know, people say that CRT and things like that are not in schools, but they are. Uh, so this is the level one onboarding for the equity and education, uh, informing ourselves, transforming our schools. They did not use the possessive, uh, <laughs> the possessive apostrophe for schools, but whatever, it's an educational document. Terms and understandings, terms and concepts. So this is nuts. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, this was first broken for me. Uh, story, uh, the story first broken by uh, Wendy Strauss-Mahoney with Uncover DC. But it talks about, it's re-education is what it is. And it's saying we need to learn new definitions for all of these words, race, skin color, sex, sexual orientation, et cetera. And this one just stood out to me. It's point number four, and it's completely antithetical to Martin Luther King Jr., to the civil rights movement. It says colorblindness, which where, you know, Dr. King said colorblindness is the goal to live in the world where we're judged not by the color of our skin, but the content of our character. Here it says colorblindness is a race-based, or the concept that race-based differences do not matter and ignores the realities of systemic racism. And then there's this nutso gaslighting thing. Colorblind comments may focus on, quote, content of character as if this is some kind of bad thing are am i crazy when i go around and i speak and i i draw on the language and i draw on the arguments from the my video is still out of sync this is so weird well your I'm mouth is gonna, not moving your mouth yeah. is not moving which is good all right i'm gonna show you instead but is it me? I use the language. I rely heavily on the language of the civil rights movement because it's good language. It makes sense. It is bringing the the promises of the Declaration and the Constitution to fruition and it manifest in the country that we had just a few short years ago. Are you getting the same type of resistance? I'm sure, unfortunately, you're white, so I'm sure that you're called a racist and and a bigot and all kinds of other things. But what mountain do we need to climb to get people to realize that content of character works, that meritocracy works, that crime and punishment works? Like, do you, do you have anything for the guest? Because a lot of people are just discouraged right now. I hear people every day that are just like, I don't know what to do at work, at school, uh, with friends, with family. It's just such an arduous task. Uh, what would you say to those people? That's a great question, Joe. And I would say that you just have to keep pressing 
forward and standing up and speaking out and having these conversations because the the points that you just brought up for Prince William County, uh, they're the exact same as what we posted today from Falls Church, only the document we posted from Falls Church is more in-depth. I believe it was about eight pages and went into more detail about the indoctrination of teachers. And, you know, I don't want to speak for any person of color because I am white and I uh, would not be presumptuous to do that. However, I would think that anyone, regardless of skin color, if you're told that you're at a disadvantage and that uh, advanced courses need to be lowered and that um, parameters for excellence need to be uh, lowered because you're not able to excel like other people based on some identifying characteristic, then I would be offended. Um, and similarly, if I were told for any reason that just because of the way I was born that I am automatically a bad person because I have inflicted pain or disadvantage on someone else just by my existence and the way I was born, which is of no um, effort of my own or no doing of my own, then I would think that that would be unfair as well. And so I think that this whole basis of cultural competence, which is what they're now calling this training, it's never called critical race theory. It's now called cultural equity, cultural competence. Uh, it's given a lot of different colorful names. Um, it divides people and it teaches people um, to either loathe themselves or to abhor others for some reason or another reason. And I don't think any of us would say that racism does not exist. It, it does exist. And there are people who are wronged daily for a number of different reasons. Um, I grew up in a small town where there were many people who were very disadvantaged based on the fact that it's a low-income area and their parents did not have the opportunities that you and I have, Joe. And so as a result, a lot of them ended up in positions in the community that were um, that they were not able to have advancement like you and I have been able to have. And they, some of them were black people, some are, are people of color, some of them were Caucasian or white people. And so it, it had, it was a lot of different factors that affected uh, the way their life turned out that were not their fault. Uh, none of it was their fault. A lot of it was based on the homes they were born into, the area they were born into, um, the opportunities that were there in that area. And so to just broad stroke anyone, to broad stroke law enforcement or broad stroke, stroke people of color, Caucasians, anyone for anything other than the type of person you are, the character, the life that you lead, your contributions to society. I don't know how anyone can think that that is fair in any way. And I would say that for anyone but I think that the key to having people jump on this bandwagon and believe that they should advocate for this type of training is the fact that there's a great pressure, as you know, Joe, that if you don't jump on, then you're part of the problem. You're automatically called a racist. Um, you're called an elitist. You're called uh, a number of different names that are derogatory. And no one wants to be called that. So in order to not be called those names, they just agree. They just say, yeah, you're right. I, I admit it does exist. So maybe you are right to the extent that you're explaining this. And then we lose the battle and people have to be bold and willing to say exactly what I just said. We're admitting that there, there is racism. There are people who could do better in all professions. Um, but 
to just categorize children as good or bad, smart or not, advantaged or not, uh, without looking at their personal situations is wrong. And we both know that. That's logical and that's fair. Um, and so I think we just have to keep telling that story over and over. And, and you've had you've done a great job at doing that, Joe. So thank you for everything you're doing to stand up for, for sanity and for reality. Well, I'm not putting in nearly the miles that you are. I um, I think I have a slide for that. I like, I pulled up, hopefully this camera is working better, but I pulled up, um, let's see here, like a flyer that you guys had, like you are all over Everywhere. the place. Like and these aren't, these are different counties, but like Pulaski's like on the other side of the state, like this is... Yeah. Everywhere. Coal yeah, country, so, you got Wise on there. And the, the Wise County rally, actually, we, through our efforts in Southwest Virginia, were able to appoint a director of Southwest Outreach and an assistant director. So we weren't even at the Wise County rally. We had our director and assistant director run that rally. Awesome. And very successfully, media came to that. And they were actually objecting to the fact that Wise County already implemented and voted yes on the transgender model policy. So they wanted to show up afterwards and say, we want you to reconvene and reconsider based on some of the cases in our county. One mother actually contacted me and said, my daughter is going into the eighth grade. She is deaf and she is blind. She is a beta club student and honor roll. And she's afraid to go to school in two weeks because of the fact that there could be a man, a biological male coming into the bathroom with her. What do we do? Just completely beside herself. And so as a result of that, she helped organize this Wise County rally. And yeah, we're, we're all over. And as you can see, some nights um, we're in two places at one time. So we have different people who are representing us so that we can join hands and embrace our brothers and sisters across the state to let them know they're not alone. Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed with the mileage that you guys are putting in. Uh, yeah, I would say you should run for something because you're already <laughs> running around here and there. So what are what are next steps? What's over the horizon? I know that you're really leaning into two recall efforts. I'm not trying to get a scoop here. Is anyone else getting recalled? I, I hear uh, grumblings and, and whispers about uh, Fairfax County school board members. Um, yeah. So we're not What's part next? of that. So the, the Fairfax County School Board recalls, that those were started by a group called Open FCPS, Open Fairfax County Public Schools. So although we've had their petitions at our events, we didn't recall the Fairfax County School Board. So right now we have no immediate plans to recall anyone else because quite frankly, our, our schedule is full. Um, and so I think what's so great about Stand at Virginia, Joe, is we're not ultra focused on just education or just law enforcement, or election integrity. We can pivot as something in the news cycle or something that's urgent in communities happens. We can be there to encourage people throughout the state of Virginia, help them join together. Um, we would encourage anyone who's listening today to this um, to, to the Joe Mobley show, go to our website or email us at 
info at standupvirginia.com. And let us know that you want to be on our newsletter. And that's the way that we're able to really join hands with everybody across the state, let you know what's happening in your area and on a statewide basis. And then we can mobilize if we need to with people who are in your area and help get bodies. And one of the, the biggest things that we've told people, Joe, is, for instance, for the Loudoun County School Board meeting where there were over 650 people there, Stand Up Virginia sent an email out and we sent it out to people we knew were either organizations fighting for education issues or a mom who had a group of 30 moms that she emailed who we knew were strong advocates for education. And we said, send this out to everyone and let them know if you're in Fairfax, if you're in Arlington, wherever you might be, Prince William, you need to come to Loudoun and you need to stand together with Loudoun families. Only register to speak if you live in Loudoun, but come and show support. And so that model was hugely successful. We were able to get 650 people there along with other people who have email lists like you and some other organizations in Loudoun who are fighting hard and pushing back. But we've told Buchanan County and Russell County and Tazewell County and Smith County, form pods. So if you are in Loudoun County, like we said, invite the counties around you on your periphery to come to your meetings. So when we have a school board meeting, like some of the upcoming meetings we just mentioned, we don't just broadcast in that area. We let surrounding counties know you need to come support other members of other communities because what happens in their county, school boards are watching and they typically kind of fall in line with whatever happens around them in their area. And that's why we all need to band together and form these pods. And that's what we're encouraging people to do, to get on our newsletter list, um, know what we're doing, follow us on Facebook at Stand Up Virginia, and get involved. And it's just a few weeks before the school year starts, so you can come out for a few weeks. You can come to a few school board meetings. Just come and hold a sign and be there to show others that they're not alone. Yeah, agreed. Just your presence, like show up and support. It makes us feel better. I There's a different energy. There's something different in the air when you're at an event and there are just people there people in support of what you're doing. It's very analogous to the thank you for your service type thing uh, that service members get or law enforcement. Um, yeah, completely agree. Um, it's different to get used to looking here now. Uh, but so we are just about out of time. I am still a freshman podcaster, freshman YouTuber guy. So I'm just now remembering then I got to ask you to like, share, and subscribe to the show. Here we are like 50 minutes in. Uh, so please do like this content. If you got any value, if you like what we're doing, if you enjoyed this at all, uh, share it with someone who you think would benefit uh, from Brenda's message, who would benefit from the model of Stand Up Virginia or, you know, any of the things that they have going on from, I must have campaigning, uh, from events to managing volunteers, showing up at communities all over. Uh, even if you're not the member, a member of a particular community, you can show up and support uh, good efforts going on there. And if you really enjoy the content, then subscribe to the show so you get all of my uh, funny little YouTube videos that come out. Of course, I always promote locals.com. It's a great website. It's the internet done right. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It will be here when Twitter's gone and probably when YouTube is gone and Facebook and all the rest. 
If you want uncloseted conservative gear like this, my AR-15 identifies as a stick shirt, then go to my website and get it. You can join my email list if you want a discount code. And you can join Brenda's. I almost called you Megan, Brenda. You don't even look like a Megan. Isn't that weird? Anyway, you can join <laughs> Brenda's email list at standupvirginia.com. Last question. If you could get everyone on earth to read and really understand one book, what would you pick and why? Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's a difficult one. Well, one of the uh, most recent books I read was by Justice Clarence Thomas, and it was my grandfather's son. And I loved that book because it talked about Justice Thomas's life, um, how he had a unique life, and uh, some of the adversity that he experienced, not only as a child, but then when he was in Washington, D.C., involved in politics and his early beginnings in politics. And then, of course, when he became a Supreme Court justice, what that journey looked like and um, his fortitude and his strength and his personal relationships that helped carry him forward were really a, a strengthening um, I guess a strengthening and an edification for me when I read what he went through and how he got to where he is and how he became the man that he is and what he's carried in his heart the the whole time since he's been a young man until now, the huge success, obviously, that he is and the man that we all know and love for standing up um, uh, in the Supreme Court and, and doing what's right. And so I just think that it was a great book. It was a great book from a personal aspect, talking about his life experiences as a child in college, his marriage, um, and then just his journey in D.C. politics and what a real struggle that was and how he has navigated it successfully. And I think when we hear those stories about other people and we see how they've experienced even greater adversity than we could ever dream of and they've come through successful and they've shown themselves to be true leaders— it again gives us strength, Joe. So you and I are grassroots, you know, newcomers on the block, but we've got many people like him who have been around for years and experienced everything that we're going through, but on a scale of a hundred. And, and they did that successfully. And I think those are the people we need to look to. We need to read their stories, know their lives, know how they got through it. And, um, model and try to replicate their success as, as we can. And so I would definitely recommend his book, My Grandfather's Son by Justice Thomas. Awesome. Anything by Clarence Thomas is probably a good recommendation. Uh, I will be adding that to the list, which is going to be available at thejomobleyshow.com very soon. Brenda Tillett with Stand Up Virginia. Thanks so much for everything you do. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. And couple of quick shout outs. Uh, yeah. Contrarix, you know, Taylor, I know that you're a really busy dude. Thanks for coming and spending some Thursday night with us. He says, good on you for taking on the CRT topic and sticking with it. Michael, thank you, my friend. Smash that like button. I've said it once in a YouTube video. I'm trying to get that because that's what YouTube wants to hear right now. Smash that like button. And Lloyd, we, we agree, the Bible, I used to ask the question differently, um, aside from a prescriptive religious text, so the Quran's out, the Bible's out, um, because Christians would pick the Bible, and Muslims would pick the Quran, and Mormons would pick the Book of Mormon, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, but thank you guys so much for spending a little bit of your Thursday evening with us. And Brenda, thanks so much for sharing your heart, your passion, what you're doing to impact, uh, I'd say Virginia, but really also the world. People coast to coast, border to border, and then beyond our borders are getting inspiration from the grassroots efforts. We're not funded by billionaires, guys. I promise I would, I, we'd live in a different house <laughs> if we were. Um, but Thanks so much. Uh, last word goes to you. Anything that you want to say with the viewers or to the viewers in under two minutes, because that's when I'm okay. going to end the broadcast. I would say Take like the Joe Mobley show. Like smash Woo. that like button because he is working hard. Buy his gear because that's how we keep doing what we're doing. Um, purchases of T-shirts and liking helps us get the word out and helps us continue what we're doing as grassroots activists. If you can go to our website and like us on Facebook, um, if you can donate also, even a $5 donation, $10 helps us keep doing what we're doing. As I mentioned, none of us is paid. So when we travel and have to stay overnight in a different part of the state, that's from donations like you. And then we travel back home and we live to fight another day and push back another day. The signs we take to all of the school board meetings, again, are from donations from people like you. But just show up. Just show up and be brave because when you do, someone in your community will see you, follow you, and they will feel emboldened and they will no longer feel alone. And thank you, Joe, for having me on your show tonight. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.